This is the final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. We will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media, and we will liberate America from these villains once and for all. On Monday, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the Biden administration is legally allowed to open the border by force to cut down razor wire along the Rio Grande sector of the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas. The usual suspects voted for this, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Kentaji Brown-Jackson, but they were joined by so-called conservative justices John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett. So in response to this ruling, which shocked many, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, drafted a letter not simply to the administration, but to the world. And here's part of what it says. Under President Biden's lawless border policies, more than 6 million illegal immigrants have crossed our southern border in just three years. That is more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the people all across the United States. Abbott goes on to say the state of Texas has the authority under the Constitution to, quote, protect itself, That authority is the supreme law of the land, and it supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. And then, following very quickly, 25 other states with Republican governors signed a letter pledging their support to Texas and its constitutional right to defend itself and this country. Those states include Ohio, Florida, Utah, Nevada, and many others. And then the Biden administration responded. The administration threatened these states, and particularly Texas, with a, quote, 24-hour deadline to allow Border Patrol to reopen the border and to take down the barbed wire. Clearly a collision course. What happens next? We're thankful to be joined now by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, who joins us by phone from India. Governor Abbott, thank you so much for joining us. If the administration declares that it plans to federalize the National Guard of the state of Texas, your National Guard, what will be your response? Well, first, I'll be shocked. That would be a boneheaded move on his part, a total disaster. Uh, But for one, as you might imagine, we are prepared uh, in the event that that unlikely event does occur to to make sure that we will be able to continue exactly what we've been doing over the past month, and that is uh, building these barriers, uh, whether it be the Constantino wire or other uh, anti-climate border barriers, whatever we've been building, the Biden administration uh, is now trying to attack us because of it. Uh, And we will continue to do exactly what we're doing to expand our denial of illegal entry into the state of Texas. With state employees, I assume, not with National Guard. But can you envision a scenario in which you would put armed state employees on the border instead of the National Guard of Texas? We we do have other armed state employees uh, on the border as we speak right this minute. And uh, there's the Texas Department of Public Safety, as well as other law enforcement officers, as well as National Guard from other states. And you can be assured there will be more National Guard from other states and more law enforcement officers within the state of Texas and other states. And, Tucker, I just signed a law, a new law in the state of Texas that will go into effect on March the 5th that authorizes any law enforcement officer in the state of Texas to be able to arrest anybody coming across the border illegally. Have you spoken to the president or anyone from the Biden White House about what appears to be uh, an imminent collision? I have not, to be clear, 
Uh, I have spoken to the president about the border. Uh, I met him on a tarmac in El Paso and talked to him directly about what was going on. I handed him a letter that had in it immediate solutions he could take that would immediately secure the border without the need of any new law to be passed. Despite the fact that I handed him uh, on altogether eight different letters, he has refused to ever respond. My point in telling you that we have laid down the precursor of what's called Article Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution to show that uh, we have been invaded and we have demanded support from the president to safeguard our state. And they have refused to do so eight times. And that authorized me to uh, uh, declare an invasion under Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution to make sure that Texas is going to be able to use every tool in our arsenal to defend our state. Uh, Of the couple of dozen Republican-led states who've pledged support for you, um, how many do you think would send National Guard to Texas? I'll be shocked and disappointed if almost all of them do not send. There there have been about 10 so far that have sent National Guard or uh, other law enforcement. They now are joined together with us. And this is a fight for the future of America, and they all know it. And so I believe that they will all be in on this effort. It's it's just a remarkable moment. Uh, And I know you're heading out, but my final question is, how do you see this resolving? What happens next? Well, Texas is going to continue to expand the border barriers that we are erecting, the razor wire that we're putting up, uh, and to continue to gain control of more land uh, over the coming months. I believe, however, that this will all come to an end on January the 20th, of next year, because I believe a new president will be sworn in, a president who will actually enforce the immigration laws of the entire country, not just the Texas border, but New Mexico and Arizona and California and the Canadian border also. Uh, And we will have safe and secure borders once again, because we will have a president who actually will enforce the laws of the United States of America. But in the next year, are you concerned about any kind of conflict between state Uh, forces, whether state employees or National Guard and federal forces. So, Tucker, all we can do is be as prepared as possible, deploy as many people as possible, uh, do as much as possible uh, to put up more border barriers uh, and deny illegal entry. Uh, And our head is down. We're working hard, uh, regardless of what the Biden administration is doing. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas joining us now from India. Thank you very much, Governor. The state of Texas appears to be on a kind of collision course with the Biden administration, with the federal government over the southern border. Can it be protected or must the invasion continue? The Supreme Court has waited on this to some limited extent, but it hasn't solved the problem or answered the question. So what happens now? Things are moving very quickly, and it seemed like there was no one better to tell us what the future may hold than the Attorney General of the state in question, Ken Paxton, who joins us now. Mr. Attorney General, thank you so much for coming on. So that that's the question. Where where does this go? It, it's, it seems like there are two large forces speeding toward each other, no one's swerving. What happens, do you think? You know, I don't think anybody knows exactly what happened because we're in uncharted territory where we have a federal government that is largely not just ignored federal law, not just ignored their constitutional role to protect the state and the country, they're actually participating with the cartels and bringing people here as fast as they possibly can. I just don't think we've ever seen anything like this in our country where we have a federal government not just not doing their job, but affirmatively working with bad people 
to do bad things to the country. I just, I don't remember anything like this. So can, can I just ask you something there? Since you're a law enforcement, you're the chief law enforcement officer of your state, can you assess whether what the Biden administration is doing now is strictly speaking criminal? Are they breaking the law in how they're handling the border? I, I think they are. I mean, they're taking federal law and dismantling it. It's, it's, he has a constitutional duty to implement what has been put in place by the elected representatives. Yes. And he's just not doing that. And he's making up his own rules as we go that allow the cartels to gain a foothold, a strong, really strong foothold in the United States, not just in my state, but really across the, they're building a network across the country so that they can keep doing this well after Biden's gone. So uh, just to like the next few days or weeks or months or who knows, the Biden administration has effectively threatened your state and said you've got 24 hours to do something. What are they demanding that you do? And where does this go short term, do you think? You know, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to do. I mean, is it we're supposed to let them uh, help them cut down wire and fences? We weren't ordered to do that by anybody that 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 I know of. And so we have no obligation to help them violate federal law. And we're not going to do it. And I don't think Abbott's going to give in. I certainly don't plan on giving in. So they're pushing us to help them, and we're not going to help them violate federal law. We're going to try to defend our border the best we can with the resources we have. And, you know, my job is to do it in court. Abbott has other resources at his disposal, and I hope he uses every single one of them to stop this. There's not one power center in this country, the media, the government at all levels and both parties, big business. There's not one power center in the United States that would like to see secure borders. And so, of course, we haven't had secure borders and now we're being invaded and no one's really doing anything about it. So it's just a matter of time before citizens who love their country, in many cases who have served their country overseas, decided to get a little more active in protecting their country. And that's why we're about to see the Take Our Border Back convoy. It begins on January 29th. Truckers, bikers, anyone who wants to come and protect the United States and demand that our government secure our southern border is welcome. They'll be driving to Texas, and one of the people who will help them navigate that state is Dr. Pete Chambers. Chambers is, true to his title, a physician. He's a former Green Beret. He was recently down in Eagle Pass, Texas, and here's part of what he saw. Doc Chambers from uh, Eagle Pass, Texas. Today's the 18th of December. We're out here uh, at the point of entry. 5,000 are sitting on the ground right now. It's increasing as we, as we go along. Information that we've received says another 7,000 should be processed through this particular point by morning. Uh, Joe and I have been here many times. Last time we were down here, we were in uniform. And now I'm a civilian and uh, in the Army of God. So uh, we'll keep t telling truths. And uh, you need to get this video to your legislators and tell them in the state of Texas, particularly, this is out of control. So not surprisingly, Doc Pete Chambers has been attacked by dying legacy media outlets as a deeply scary person because your country being invaded is not scary. It's all totally normal. We thought it would be worth talking to Doc Pete Chambers about what he expects to happen with this convoy and his role in it. He joins us now. Doc Chambers, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to be here, Tucker. So um, what can we expect with this convoy? Can you describe what it is and what its purpose is? Right. This is a peaceful assembly. This is what we do as Americans. This is how we get 
we shed light to a subject, this shedding of the light will result in exposing really what an open border policy looks like. Yes. We know that, that you know, we know the problem sets in Texas, but literally I could, I promise you this, that 40 miles north of that border, there will be people that will never have heard of the border problem because they just watch mainstream media. Yes. And so this is what that is about. And so can you tell us the root of the convoy and who you expect to join it? Right. Uh, so, so right now they're going to be leaving out of on the 29th, uh, Virginia Beach, which is where the 1607 Covenant, the landing, uh, was signified the uh, John Smith landing in 1607, where they played, yes. planted a cross on the beach and said, hey, we, this is a covenant to this nation, to God. Uh, and, and then they're going to leave from there and they're going to go down through Florida. They're going to cut across Highway 10 through Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Houston, into uh, Dripping Springs, Texas, where I'll be working out of, and then on to near Eagle Pass. Now, I'm part of the advisory of this, and, and as, I, as I advised, I used to be in that same unit that's down there. That's the unit that has a streamer on it from the Alamo. It's a very historic Texas unit. And so they are down there holding line. And I know those soldiers. I worked with them. I, 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 I took care of them as a doctor with uh, Operation Lone Star. They're busy. So the, the, the convoy is going to go just a little bit shy, just a little bit to the north, really, uh, in, a, in an area about 30 miles away in Kimado, Texas, to a children's camp. A lady, a beautiful lady down there who has taken care of orphans and widows. You can't write this stuff in a book. I, I couldn't make this up. But she was overrun, first of all, by the COVID mandates that said you got to shut down. You can't keep running this shelter, number one. Number two, she was overrun by the numbers of, of volumes of uh, illegals that were coming through her neighborhood trying to get into her food pantry. And then number three, the cartels are a significant presence in that area because that is the end point of where they do the end around. So we are looking at the bright, shiny object that is Eagle Pass. That's a bright, shiny object. Look here. The droids that you're not looking for, if you will, are just to the north, right in that location. And so what, what this is going to do is it's going to bring light to it because we have to understand that there is a constitution, both state and federal, and that we have to, number one, expose those that argue things in the Hegelian dialectics, if you will, of tort law, and look at the Constitution, which is exactly what this is a focus on the Constitution. We the people. That's why we the people will be riding along, mama bears, cops, veterans, truckers, uh, and going to that location to bring light. There is nothing nefarious about this. There is, matter of fact, I am suggesting to them that they that they and they know this. They know this that this is a peaceful demonstration. This is this is how this will be. And this is one of the things that is making me so thrilled about what is going down in Texas. Like finally, 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 we are having a serious, robust discussion about federalism and the Constitution and separation of powers. And, and you know, what is the role of the Supreme Court? Are they really the, the end-all, be-all, final, you know, law of the land. Well, no, that's a fallacy. That's been a fallacy for decades, but we've been conditioned and we've been propagandized to such an extent that a lot of people think that, well, if the Supreme Court said that we could, I don't know, like execute babies in the, in, you know, the middle of Times Square on a regular ba uh, basis, it, you know, if they said that was okay, then everyone would do it. Well, no, that's absurd. And that's, that's insane. 
of course, the, the Supreme Court is not the end all be all. There are checks and balances, separation of powers. And we're watching this play out right now. We're watching our Constitution in action right now as the SCOTUS tries to flex their muscles. Texas says, oh, hell no, under the banner of federalism. And uh, governors come in from all, you know, from across the country to support them, led by, and this is why we love Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. Yeah, I'm super sad that he's not the candidate anymore, but damn it, he can do some really, really heavy lifting from his position as governor in Florida. And he did. Let's look at this video right now of Ron DeSantis. Uh, this went viral yesterday very, very quickly and definitely placed pressure on red state governors across the country as their constituents said, well, if Ron DeSantis can do this, Mr. Governor, why can't you? Aren't you a Republican? If Ken Paxton says it's OK and Governor Abbott says it's OK and they're bolstered by Ron DeSantis, well, then this is the type of bottom up pressure. This is uh, this is the, the we the people. This is civics in action. This is what I talk about when I refer to bottom up, right? It's these pressures. Believe me, Governor Abbott didn't want to do this. He didn't want this fight. I don't even know if Ken Paxton did. But when you provide that external pressure, which they've been experiencing, and then you have leadership in the form of someone like Governor DeSantis, who is really, um, you know, now leading a, a revolution in this country, a peaceful constitutional revolution, which is really exciting to watch. But this is what he had to say. We're going to run this quick and then we're going to go to break. And then I'm going to fill you in on a few more things. We're going to talk about uh, what went down with my producers. And we're also going to share with you the amazing footage from the the Euro, the, revol the revolts across Europe. It's it's unbelievable. So let's uh, let's hit Texas first. This is what Ron DeSantis had to say. Here we go. Biden is going after Texas, saying that they must remove fortifications from their border. They put wire, they put things to keep people out. Uh, Biden's saying you got to take that down to let people come in illegally, which is just crazy. And I remark that if the Constitution was originally understood to mean that a state could not protect itself against an invasion, that the federal government could force a state to allow an invasion, the Constitution would have never been ratified in the first place. Texas would have never joined the Union when it did. Uh, and if you look at Federalist 46, which uh, uh, Daniel Horowitz pointed out, uh, James Madison talks about uh, situations where federal encroachment can be mitigated uh, by by state action. So you have Texas here uh, that's holding its ground. They have every right to fortify the border vis-a-vis -vis an invasion, and that's Article One, Section Ten of the Constitution. Uh, so so they're in the right. You also have a situation where liberal jurisdictions over many, many years have been sanctuary jurisdictions against enforcing federal immigration law. So you'll have somebody who's a criminal alien, they will not be given uh, over to ICE, and they will deliberately act to frustrate the laws on the books, and somehow that's viewed as okay. You have Texas who's acting to enforce the laws on the books, to ensure that they have a secure state and that we have a secure country. Uh, so, so all of this is just nonsense what Biden's doing. Uh, Texas has every right to stand its ground. We've in Florida, we've been sending people to help uh, for, for many years now because we understand it's not just a Texas issue, it's ultimately an American issue. And if we don't have sovereignty in this country, uh, then we're not gonna be a country anymore. So, so they have every right to hold their ground, uh, to stay, stay the course and Florida will continue to be there uh, helping out every step of the way.
And there, there you have it, Governor Ron DeSantis doing an enormous amount of damage from the great state of Florida back in the seat as governor and leading the way, being an example to red state governors across the country. I believe it's because of that video, which did four, five, six million views on Twitter in a very short amount of time. I am certain that that had a great impact in boxing in and uh, pushing red state governors to do the right thing and stand behind Texas, stand behind the feder- uh, the federalism and the, the aspect of states' rights here in this country. This is insane. We're at the point now, and one of the very interesting elements, first of all, there are a couple really interesting things about that video from Governor Ron DeSantis. Number one, he mentioned Daniel Horowitz, and this is based on a tweet that Horowitz put out. I'm going to say first and foremost, Horowitz is the leader on this issue. Daniel Horowitz has been reporting on the border relentlessly for almost 10 years. He knows every aspect of every single political angle when it comes to securing the border. He knows the Constitution. He knows the law. He's been covering the law. He's covered all of the court cases. Daniel Horowitz made the clarion call three days ago, two days ago, and said on his show that every red state governor now needs to get behind Abbott immediately. We need to make this a constitutional issue. We need to make this an issue about states' rights. This is the right issue at the right time. It has the support of the people, and this is the inflection point that we need to win a much larger, much broader victory outside of political elections. This, if we're to win this, and I have never seen Daniel Horowitz actually optimistic, and he was, and that's always a treat, uh, but this is an opportunity. And why is this an opportunity? It's because quite frankly, this is now permeated over to the Democratic side and to liberals as well. They're seeing their cities and their towns overrun with illegal aliens. And when you have Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a former Democrat running, a former liberal running as as an independent, coming out and getting behind Governor Abbott before President Trump, who as of, you know, 10 hours ago was telling all the Republicans to get off this issue because he wanted it to run on in November. He wanted it as a campaign issue. So he was behind the scenes trying to scuttle this effort. He was outed on Fox News for doing that. Trump has now come around and he's supporting the effort, but not before Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who tweeted this out. Texas is right. Biden's failure to secure the border leaves no choice, but to take matters into their own hands. As president, I will end this humanitarian crisis once and for all. I will secure the border, says RFK Jr., and destroy the business model of the drug cartels. That's even more important. That indicates he understands the the problem here and the situation. A country without borders is not a country at all, says Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Guess who else was ahead of Donald Trump, Naomi Wolf, the former liberal, right? She was a darling of the Clinton administration, the Obama administration. And this is what Naomi Wolf had to say about this. The, The left needs to grapple with the fact that it's not racist to have a border or to want to stop unlawful entries. We are a nation of immigrants, but without borders, there is no nation. There are no citizens in any meaningful way. And thus, over time, not very long, there will be no country. Thank you, Naomi Wolf. Thank you, Bobby Kennedy Jr. But this is an indication that this issue is much larger than just a Republican issue, and it is ripe for the picking. It is time for us to take a scalp. Let's do it. Encourage all of your representatives, your senators, your congressmen, your governors, your local 
Republican Party and the local conservatives to get behind this. Another interesting thing, this is what Daniel Horowitz had to say about this. And this is what Ron DeSantis messaged. He said, all red state governors united against the invasion is exactly what our founders had in mind to check a nightmarish federal government. Make no mistake, this whole thing that you're seeing happen right now was Daniel Horowitz's idea. Okay. This is what he has been working for forever. Okay. James Madison in Federal 46 explains the recipe for how to accomplish this. Madison predicted that the federal encroachment would easily be mitigated by state action, but, quote, the means of opposition to it are too powerful and at hand. What is the winning formula? And this is what he says, the disquietude of the people, their repugnance and perhaps refusal to cooperate with the officers of the union, peaceful noncompliance, civil disobedience. What is happening in Europe is necessary. It needs to happen here in the United States of America. And we're doing it. This is exciting. This is exciting. The frowns of the executive magistracy of the state, the embarrassment, created by legislative devices, which would often be added on such occasions, would oppose in any state difficulties not to be despised, would form in a large state very serious impediments. And where the sentiments of the several adjoining states happen to be in unison, hello, 25 states signing on to a declaration standing behind Governor Abbott against the Biden administration, the executive branch, and also against the SCOTUS, the judicial branch. This is our constitution in action. I'm so excited. I love the constitution. When I got started in this business 10 years ago, right? I just thought the Republicans had a messaging problem. I'm like, they just are, they're just messaging poorly. I'm going to get in here, start a show, and then they'll get it and they'll see what's going on. They'll see the craziness and then we'll fix all of this. Little did I know, what I underestimated was the ignorance of the herd and the herd mentality, the cult mentality, and also the, the just blatant corruption of the two political parties. I thought we actually had an opposition party within the Republican Party. So I was like, well, all we have to do is get our messaging right and you know reach out to people. And once they understand like the, the reason and the rationality behind this, everything's going to be fine. Well, I hit a brick wall with that one, believe you me. But in that time, when I was a fledgling radio host, I, I really wanted to put my money where my mouth was and I really wanted to understand things. So I went back and I did. I gave myself um, really a re-education. I went back and, and reread. I mean, my gosh, first it was the Declaration of Independence. I read the whole thing multiple times. I probably read it 10 or 15 times. I read the Constitution back and forth. Obviously, my Bible from cover to cover, Genesis to the Book of Revelation. I moved on to many of the Federalist, Federalist Papers, Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville was phenomenal. I moved on to the people and the, you know, the entities that shaped the thinking of our founders and the creators of our constitution. So I read John Locke and uh, F.A. Hayek, Road to Serfdom, also um, Bastiat. The law was so, so good. And then I went back and read the people who influenced, influenced them. So Plato's Republic and Cicero. And I mean, I really did a deep dive. I did the, the contemporary stuff too. Uh, the 5,000-year leap, I did Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I did Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell and Propaganda by Edward Bernays. I did um, 
Stolen Sovereignty, obviously, by, by Daniel Horowitz, Men in Black, by Mark Levin, all the contemporary stuff. And then I even read The Bad Guys. So I did Mein Kampf by Hitler so I could figure that out. We know what it, what is the appeal of socialism. The Communist Man Manifesto I read to figure out what that appeal was. Saul Alinsky and Rules for Radical. Like I went down, when I tell you I went down the rabbit hole, I went down the rabbit hole and I was so excited just to realize that, you know, in, in so, so many of the problems that we face today, just abiding by the Constitution and operating within the boundaries of the Constitution will si solve so many of our problems that we are completely upside down, that, you know, the federal government had this enormous amount of power, those states and the localities had very little power, and it's supposed to be completely tipped on its head. The federal government is supposed to be teeny, teeny, teeny. The states and, and the localities are supposed to deal with most of the issues that are faced by the people and, you know, civil society in the, in the United States of America. And it was just upside down. And so when I realized all of that, it was, you know, that's when I became like a real hardcore constitutionalist. And I, you know, I haven't read a lot recently because I realized very shortly that no one really wanted this. The Republican Party didn't want it. Con Inc. didn't really want it. Uh, most of the mainstream media didn't really want it. And so we've been in a knockdown drag out battle just to get here, but that we're here is a miracle to me through all of this, even COVID, uh, you know, going through another, you know, primary process and the prospect of another, you know, Trump candidacy and all of these bad, bad things. They have all this money and power. But to see this happening to me is a miracle. These conversations that we're having a governor, you know, pulling out the Federalist Papers and and, you know, people like Daniel Horowitz, finally, who has all of these solutions. I mean, he has so many solutions on the types of legislation and what we need to do as a country in order to seize it back from the bottom up. This is a wonderful, wonderful development, a wonderful development. And, you know, Governor Abbott needed to be dragged to this kicking and screaming, but you know what? He did it. And, and that is thanks to people like you and the people in Texas who are standing up, speaking out, refusing to back down. We can win these battles on every single front. We have seen DeSantis do it through leadership in Florida. We're now seeing it happen in Texas through a coalition and through uh, that grassroots bottom-up organization. And we can see it in all of the different areas, all the things that, that we have grappled with over the past decade, the past two decades, we can take care of. This is very, very, very exciting Bravo. The other interesting thing about that Ron DeSantis video that I played for you, wait till you guys hear this. So you know how Ron DeSantis went on, on air, did the live you know, discussion, and he mentioned Daniel Horowitz. Well, Clay and Buck, two of the biggest squawkers on Con Inc., you hear them, they're filling in. They're basically taking over Rush Limbaugh's show. Not very well, by the way, in my opinion. Anyway, um, they played that clip of Ron DeSantis and like, oh, this is so great. This is so fabulous. Uh, one keen listener noticed that they cut out, literally like sliced out the one reference of Ron DeSantis, of Daniel Horowitz and the Federalist Papers. So how petty and small is that for them to go in? And for whatever reason, I thought it was a little bit strange, but it just goes to show you, you know, some of the angles out there. And, you know, a lot of the people who say that they're for the Constitution or they love the Constitution, um, you know, they do it as a shtick. They do it as part of a business model. They're entertainers, not really activists. That's the opposite of, 
of, um, you know, my position here. And yes, Sandy Lou 58, shouldn't Abbott ship them back to Mexico? Yes. Okay. And this, I still have a gripe about Abbott. Um, he's been shipping illegals into the interior of the country for many, many, many months now. And that is creating, it's almost the equivalent of this kind of like weird fighting force, like young fighting age men being shipped into the interior continually. And Governor Abbott did that when he really could have just put them on trains, planes, and automobiles and shipped them back to Mexico. Why he didn't do that? I mean, the, the the only thing that was a benefit of that is I think, you know, dumping the illegal immigrants into blue cities, like really, really <laughs> liberal left leaning blue cities like Portland, Oregon and New York City and, uh, you know, San Francisco was somewhat brilliant. I mean, this is probably why a lot of liberals are coming around to the idea that maybe we should have borders um, because, yeah, it's right in their backyard. So there was, a, you know, in some ways you could say there was there was if there was a strategy there it was not a bad strategy but um we just need to really get this uh we need to get this put to bed so good news for once we're gonna go to break really quickly and be back i'm gonna tell you a little bit about my situation with my producers we only have eight eight minutes left in the show and so we'll we'll hit that and we'll end with some great videos from the revolution across europe it is amazing we'll be back in a moment right here in the shannon joy show According to a brand new peer-reviewed study, which came out of the country of Switzerland, a staggering 1 in 35 recipients of the Moderna booster shot experienced vaccine-associated heart injury. 1 in 35 people who took the shot experienced damage to the heart. Now, that is obviously a very shocking number. And so let's unpack the details of the study together, starting with the hypothesis that the researchers were trying to investigate. Going into the study, the researchers quote, posited that the incidence of vaccine-associated heart injury was more prevalent than previously thought following mRNA booster vaccination because of a lack of symptoms or mild symptoms. And so essentially, their hypothesis going into the study was that after getting an mRNA booster shot, a lot more people were experiencing vaccine-related heart damage than previously thought. And the reason for this was because people's hearts were getting damaged in a way where either there were no symptoms on the surface or the symptoms were mild enough for people to ignore, meaning that the heart was actually injured, but the recipient of the booster shot was simply unaware. And so what these researchers did was that instead of just asking people how they felt after vaccination, they actually went in and they tested their blood. And in terms of what they were testing for, quote, the researchers defined heart injury as a sharp increase in high-sensitivity cardiac treponin T on the third day after vaccination without evidence of an alternative cause. The levels of cardiac treponin had to hit the upper limit of normal, 8.9 nanograms per liter in women and 15.5 nanograms per liter in men. Now, the reason that these researchers decided to use what's known as a treponin test is because it is a very good indicator of whether or not there was damage to the heart. If a person has more of this protein called treponin T in the bloodstream, it means that recently they've experienced damage to the heart. Forty-two thousand people in Nevada voted more than once, according to your work in this. 42,000 people. 1,500 people voted in Nevada that were dead. 19,000 people voted, though they did not live in Nevada, 
and they weren't a college student. 8,000 people voted from a non-existent address. 15,000 people voted, though they were registered to a commercial address or a vacant address. And 4,000 people uh, voted in Nevada that are non-citizens. My question to you is, in my state, when someone votes twice, and we do have that occasionally, and about 50 times a year that that actually occurs in our state, we prosecute individuals that vote twice. Of this 130,000 instances that you have identified from the 2020 election in Nevada, do you know of any prosecutions currently going on in Nevada for any voter fraud? Not yet, Senator, and that's extremely important. Roll it. Higher journalism industry is basically in a free fall. Today, the Los Angeles Times laid off 115 employees. They wiped out their entire DC bureau in an election year. Major media companies like BuzzFeed News have completely shuttered their news operations. Time Magazine also just laid off a ton of people. And oh, Sports Illustrated basically shut down last week. Pretty much the entire digital media ecosystem that myself and a lot of other millennial journalists came up in has been completely hollowed out. Meanwhile, hundreds of workers at Condé Nast, the parent company of pretty much every major magazine from GQ to Vogue to The New Yorker to Vanity Fair are on strike because they're also facing impending layoffs. Even if you do get a job, journalists' salaries have been stagnant and even declined. And by the way, we don't make that much to begin with. I don't think people understand how bad the world would be without journalists. Oh. She's right. <laughs> without journalists, who would arrest criminals or put out fires or build our roads or take care of the sick or deliver our mail or pick up our trash, keep our water and electricity running or defend our country? So, yeah, thank God for journalists. <laughs> Look, crazy lady, everyone understands how bad the world would be without journalists because we haven't had any for decades. <laughs> Look at all the hoaxes our so-called media pushed while missing the biggest stories of the century. Fact is, only our treasured journalists could fake a scam involving Russia to undermine the incoming president without consequences. Only our treasured journalists could deny a lab leak virus for years and suppress anyone who dared question the lying experts. Only our treasured journalists would proudly disseminate the government's talking points word for word on everything from Hunter's laptop to border policy to crime stats, looting and riots. Only our treasured journalists would protect a vegetable who can't leave his basement or finish a sentence and helps him get a elected president with multiple election law changes, then eggs on attacking his political enemies while celebrating the imprisonment of those who didn't vote for him. And only our treasure journalists would want us to hear about the tragic plight of our treasure journalists. So, yeah, I don't think the world would understand how bad the world would be without journalists. But I have a feeling millions of us would like to find out. <laughs> the numbers you need to understand. Yale University released a study last week by three researchers, all of them liberal, I believe, who concluded that the actual number of illegal aliens in this country is not 11 million, it's north of 22 million. 22 million. Mm. Fact one. Fact two. The Democratic Party is now, as a matter of policy, calling for the legalization of all illegals in this country. Citizenship voting rights. 22 million new voters. Fact mm -hmm. three. The overwhelming majority of first-time immigrant voters vote Democrat. Fact four. 
The largest margin in American presidential history was 17 million votes, 1980 election, rather, 1984 election between Mondale and and Reagan. And Reagan, yeah. 17 million. You would add to our voter rolls 22 million, at least, permanent electoral majority in perpetuity. That's what this is about. It's not about making the country better, serving our labor needs, helping the population. It's about putting Democrats in power forever. That is the truth of our immigration debate, period. This is the final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. We will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media, and we will liberate America from these villains once and for all.